You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. And just as a warning, these films might be in theaters now, or they may be from 10, 20, 30 years ago. But regardless, there's a strong possibility that I will be revealing spoilers. I might give away the plot or the ending in this review, so just be warned. The film is Kimmy, which came out in 2022 and was directed by Steven Soderbergh. Kimmy? I'm here. What time is it? It's 7.26 a.m. I got her. What do you want from me? Kimmy? I'm here. Reopen the stream on desktop. Why don't you run from me? I'm a voice stream interpreter. I may have heard a crime on one of the streams. How do I find out who she is? You need a device number in the admin code. Will you make me one? I have to know what we're dealing with. We're dealing with what sounds like a premeditated murder. Yeah, how do I know that? Why don't you Can we please call the FBI? You said you had her. They did, but now they don't. If he's the only copy. I emailed it to everyone I know this morning. Kimmy! I'm here. It stars Zoe Kravitz, Byron Bowers, Rita Wilson, Jamie Camille, Jacob Vargas, Erica Christensen, Devin Ratray, and Robin Givens. The genre would be suspense thriller. Nowadays, I start to feel like a broken record, or just even a deluded fanboy, praising the latest movie from Steven Soderbergh. But the dude is prolific, and he has the chops. Since his, quote, comeback a few years ago with Logan Lucky in 2017, He's done pretty well with mostly smaller-scale films, The Laundromat being the one bloated exception. And with Kimmy, he has directed another highly enjoyable paranoia thriller in the vein of Unsane from a few years ago. Also, like Unsane, Kimmy has one glaringly obvious plot point which doesn't really hold up to scrutiny. But if you look past it, there's no reason you won't have a good time. Let's just say that the inciting incident which sets this plot in motion doesn't actually make much sense when you learn to understand the reasoning for this inciting incident. And we'll just leave it at that. I don't want to spoil anything else. Regardless, this film could be described as one part blowout and one part panic room. Check out that review, by the way. And to be fair, at a lean 90 minutes on a relatively small budget, it never approaches the stylistic flourishes of either of those films. Not that it's trying to. This is a lean, mean, cat-and-mouse thriller which makes great use of its limited use of locations, set in Seattle, mostly around one loft, and features an agoraphobic tech analyst for a growing organization which manufactures the Kimmy device, which very much resembles Amazon's Alexa, in that it's voice-activated and is designed to help its owner with various communication-related tasks. There's just one added wrinkle to this device, at least as far as we know and that its company employs folks like Angela to analyze all of the voice streams that are directed through it for reasons related to quality control. Sure. Well, one day, Angela discovers a stream which hints of a violent struggle amidst other sounds. She delves into it, investigates further, and reports it to her superiors as she suspects a violent crime has actually been recorded by this particular Kimmy device. And of course, with her being agoraphobic, meaning she never wants to leave her loft, 
resulting from a traumatic incident just a few years prior, Angela not only struggles with her efforts to communicate with others to report this, but she's also quite shaken up with what she eventually uncovers. Miss Childs, I have to know what we're dealing with. We're dealing with what sounds like a premeditated murder. How do I know that? Because I just told you. Twice now. Maybe you've just replaced your real stresses with this. Can we please call the FBI? I understand that you have taken some mental health leave in the past. Why is that in my file? And I will leave it at that, as this story takes increasingly tense and violent turns, leading to some crisply executed set pieces along the way. And keep in mind that all of this is taking place within our modern COVID-19 infected world. And props to Soderbergh and genre veteran screenwriter David Kep for so effectively utilizing the pandemic to help drive this story forward, along with Angela's state of mind. And they do this without ever feeling exploitive. Paranoia about surveillance and or the spread of infection have always kind of gone hand in hand, right? Kravitz plays our central protagonist as quite damaged, but also boundlessly resourceful. It's a very effective physical performance at its core. There are moments when we see her traversing out amidst the outside world with her bright bob of blue hair covered under a pastel hoodie, walking quickly in a very staccato fashion, never making eye contact. She comes off as a less severe-looking Lisbeth Sounder, but no less confounding to interact with. And I'm referring to the lead character of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Now, if you are expecting jarring third-act twists or to have your mind blown at the end of this movie, you're likely to be disappointed as Soderbergh keeps the story relatively simple and conventional through its conclusion. There's not much here from a narrative standpoint, which we have not already seen in dozens of conspiracy thrillers before, despite some obvious 21st century updates. But that's okay because overall, Kimmy succeeds with what it aims to accomplish, thanks to strong craft across the board, including effective short turns from its supporting cast, including Erica Christensen and Jacob Vargas, who are both carryovers from Soderbergh's Traffic, a movie that came out 20 years ago, a suitably tense synth score from Cliff Martinez, and strong work from Soderbergh himself, who also worked as the editor and the director of photography. And that brings me to the categories. The first category would be Best Needle Drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film. There are few better ways to ensure a big smile on my face at the end of a movie than to close it out with an unexpected needle drop that is so on the nose and obvious with its usage that you just kind of say to yourself, wow, really? They're using that? And then you say to yourself, well, bravo, bravo. For probably the perfect example of this, see the ending of The Crying Game, a movie which I will definitely review this year at some point. At the very end of Kimmy, as the camera pans across her apartment and then out the window, we hear the opening scratchy synthesizer notes of what I consider to be one of the catchiest power pop songs of the 90s, Connection, from a UK one-hit wonder band, which has always been close to my heart, Elastica. 
This song was a pretty sizable alternative rock radio hit back in 95 and came from their debut self-titled album. It's all raspy punk vocals from lead singer Justine Frischman over an irresistible mid-tempo thump from drummer Justin Welch, both of whom were apparently the only two consistent members of this band during its tenuous run before they officially broke up just six years later in 2001. And not to really give away the ending, but the inclusion of this song can be read any number of ways, even ironically. But with the themes of the movie including isolation and surveillance, it all comes down to whether you can make a connection. Get it? And that brings me to the next category, which would be wasted talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. It was a kick to see Robin Givens play a small role in just a couple of short scenes via Skype as Angela's mother. Givens came up in the 80s through the sitcom Head of the Class and had the makings of becoming a genuine star in the early 90s with strong performances in Boomerang and A Rage in Harlem. Unfortunately, it seems that her very public toxic marriage and divorce to former boxing champion Mike Tyson kind of tossed that aside as she became more well-known for tabloid rumors than her acting ability. Since the 90s, Givens has done steady work in a lot of major television, Once Upon a Time, Riverdale, and even the recent reboot of Head of the Class. But this was the first big Hollywood movie that I could remember seeing her in for quite some time, and I would have liked to have seen more of her. She seems to have a believable chemistry with Kravitz through their limited interactions. There's clearly some kind of troubled relationship there, which is just hinted at. As this could have provided just a bit more backstory for Angela's past, why not have one more conversation between mother and daughter? Givens is a strong enough actress to have added a bit more, so this was just a missed opportunity. And that brings us to the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this movie. Now, in the best thrillers, the best moments can often come down to the most simple, relatable little things, and Kimmy is no exception. Early in the film, Angela invites over one of the few people that she is comfortable with for a late-night rendezvous. It's Terry, the handsome attorney played by Byron Bowers, who lives across the courtyard from her loft. They can often see each other just looking out their windows, and you get the sense that they have had encounters like this one before. Well, they get to their business, and it seems passionate. And then... Angela abruptly gets up from the bed while Terry is trying to talk to her about places to go in the area. He invites her to a local Thai restaurant and promises that they can get there early right when they open, just before anyone else arrives. You can tell that the dude really likes her and is also aware of her phobia, but Angela is just not having it. As we watch her pull the pillowcases and sheets off the bed, 
strutting with a purpose in her underwear, gathering them up, and then puts them right in her washing machine. Pretty cold, I know. Well, right after that, in an even colder fashion, as Terry is following her into her kitchen area, trying to talk to her, Angela grabs a fruit drink and a glass bottle from the fridge. She takes a swig, and then as Terry is apologizing to her for even asking her out again, she then smacks the bottle down on the edge of her kitchen counter as she declares to him that she can only progress with him on her terms, and that she now has to get back to work to review her streams. Terry sheepishly leaves, Angela goes back to her workstation, and we linger with the camera for just a brief moment, seeing that this bottle is about halfway off the edge of that kitchen counter. Angela starts playing a new stream, which mostly sounds like loud, garbled techno music, but she also hears what sounds like a woman screaming. She has her headphones listening to this and is startled by what she's heard. She needs to hear it again. So she takes off the headphones and listens to the same stream aloud on speakers, replaying it again and again to suss out the sound of that woman's scream. She then moves this file to her own personal laptop, where she has more intricate software for sounds. She starts fiddling with different levels of sound pitch on this program to try to isolate the sound, but she's not quite getting it out there by itself. She's now immersed in finding out exactly what is on this stream, as are we. This sequence is now reminding me very much of a similar sequence in Blowout, watching Travolta's character play back his tapes again and again to figure out what the sound of the titular Blowout actually was. We then watch Angela walk across her apartment to a large closet where she pulls out a very large amplifier with various plugs and knobs. This is basically an old-school sound system that you would see in recording studios from 20 years prior. She then starts furiously plugging in cords between her laptop and the amplifier and starts playing the stream again and again and again, all the while she's turning various knobs on it to keep delving into what she's hearing at different pitches. We can tell from the expression on her face that she's listening intently. The camera keeps closing in on various knobs as she turns them along with the running digital stream as she keeps listening again and again. Finally, she's able to isolate one part of the stream with some startling words from a strange man who was also being heard. She hears him say, shut your mouth, bitch. Woo! Angela pauses, pulls off her headphones as she tries to process this, and then suddenly, smash! She's startled as she hears glass break on the other side of the apartment. She's shaken up even more. Guess what it was? The bottle of fruit juice that we saw her leave on the edge of that kitchen counter about eight minutes prior. Simple, straightforward suspense. Hitchcock would have been proud. And no worries if you're concerned that I've spoiled too much. All of what I just described occurs within the first half hour. Things get much hairier from that point on, trust me. And that brings us to the final category. That would be the MVP, the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. Kravitz, Soderbergh, Soderbergh, Kravitz. Why not both? (laughs) While I would certainly not rank this among his best directorial efforts, Soderbergh executes this thriller to a T, despite limited resources. I literally cannot wait for the next surprise project that he drops on us. There's an opportunity, I think, to remind people of why movies are great and why we love going to the movies and that that's a healthy psychological thing to do, to go to see a movie and be there with 400 people that that are strangers and experience something together, a thing you're only looking at one thing, you're staring at one screen, which is unusual and is good for you. 
And regarding Kravitz, it's hard to believe, but she has only been acting since 2007. And she's already accumulated quite the filmography, including 42 credits. And she's done a nice mix of smaller indie films like Dope, big franchise films like the Fantastic Beast movies, and even compelling TV streaming stuff like Big Little Lies. With Kimmy probably being one of her first big standalone film roles, she just hits it out of the park. She not only nails the emotional aspects of portraying an isolated loner trying to overcome her fears, but she also very much pulls off much of the physical stuff towards the end. It's a standout performance, and I hope that there is more to come. Soderbergh and Kravitz are co-MVPs. My rating for Kimmy is four stars out of five. Nowadays, we really need more straightforward genre movies like these. And it's good to have at least one stalwart filmmaker like Soderbergh consistently delivering the goods. And if you're looking to watch Kimmy, it's currently streaming on HBO Max. And that ends another intrusive review. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast. And follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.